welcome. Let's continue in worship uh, through, through God's word. Um, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 3. Um, while, while you're doing that, I, I want to remind you that even though today is Resurrection Sunday, all of the Christian life hinges on the resurrection itself, on Jesus raising from the grave. Uh, and, and when I use the word hinge, I actually mean that. A, a door that's, that's not attached to the hinges is exceptionally hard to open and close. Uh, without the resurrection, Christianity is really nothing more than a broken and untrue philosophy, uh, some sort of a made-up story or fable or myth. Um, the, the resurrection itself is, is the cornerstone of, of everything that God gives us in Christianity. Because the fact remains that Jesus did raise from the dead. Uh, the, there's tons of proofs and reasons and, 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 and accounts and uh, historical, historical points that could be made to prove the resurrection, but, but a firm trust in that, honestly, is only brought by the Holy Spirit. I can never argue anyone into the kingdom of God. I can never convince, by my own words, somebody to come to salvation. The old phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, is accurate in that sense. But it's not, in this, in this case, it's not the horse who decides to drink. It's God who decides whether or not to open the floodgates and shove the water of the gospel down their throats. That sounds violent. It's a lot gentler than that. God's so much more gentle than a, than a fire hose, and I thank him for that. But if you don't believe that Jesus has been resurrected, you're not a Christian. You're not. Um, and and I, I hate to put it bluntly, but I don't, I don't know of many people that really would put it that way. Jesus was resurrected. Again, it's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. If it's the case that you don't necessarily think that Jesus was raised from the, from the dead, uh, it's really honestly best to start praying for the Lord to capture your heart and mind uh, he'll lead you into his word and he'll grow you with an unshakable trust in the resurrection. He does actually answer that prayer because he's faithful. He's full of faith. He's happy to help you trust him. God is good like that. And in that vein, today, instead of just talking about the resurrection, instead of just going to the end of one of the gospels and walking through the, the story, um, I really want to discuss the nature of God expressed in the resurrection. Um, as, as most of you have figured out by now, my sermons aren't really how-tos. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really give you a step-by-step -step of how to do a lot of stuff um, based on the biblical text because God tends to give us general principles. He, he, he tends to reveal himself in the scripture. And, and then he applies that revelation personally to each of us. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm not going to tell you specifically, here's five things to do, but I will 
preach God's word to, to show you what God says of himself and, and ways that we should respond, but I'm not going to say specifically, hey, this is, this is the way you do it. Um, rarely does God give us formulas in his word. And I'm really formulaic, man. I like, I, I like structure. Um, I, I, I read the Bible and, and journal the Bible actually based on a formula. Uh, but, but it's because it helps wrench it into my heart as opposed to, hey, this is something that God told me to do. It's a step-by-step -step process of reading his word. He, he doesn't give us that. Um, and, and, and trust me, there will be application at the end of this message. But it's, it's, it's taken actually from what's written uh, as opposed to me just trying to make something up. Um, so so we're, we're going to read a section, kind of a chunk of Romans chapter 3. And we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and this is, this is obviously not the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I, would, I, I, I don't like stepping out of it because I, I, I'm almost not doing the, 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 the letter to the Romans from Paul a, a justice in, in just kind of skipping a whole bunch of an argument, but we'll get the point. We'll, we'll get the point of what Paul is writing, and it's a big point. So we're going to read verses 21 to 31. So like I said, it's a big chunk. I wasn't meaning sarcastic because we're really focusing on a single verse in that. Um, but but we're, we're going to read the whole section uh, just to see what Paul is saying. So Romans 3, chapter 3, verses starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he has passed, or he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from, the works, from works of the law. Or is the God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary. We uphold the law. Let's pray. God, that's a heavy section of scripture. There's a lot there. I, I ask that you would help us to be conformed today, to be challenged today, to be helped today by your spirit. I hope that we're not coming just to learn a couple steps 
to make the Christian life easier today, but I ask that we would be coming here to be adoring of you, to love you in, in, in greater depth, and to serve you with a, with a deeper sense of meaning. Be glorified today with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, I apologize. That is a huge chunk of scripture. But, 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 but um, <laughs> again, we're really just focusing on verse 26. Uh, two things that, that are shown. Uh, the, the, the epistle to the, the epistle just means letter. The letter of Paul to the Roman church um, is, is really a summary of everything the first century church taught. As best, as best as Paul could do, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the, it's, it's inspired. Paul's not just writing out of his own thoughts. God is, God is aiding him. In, in Paul's own particular, kind of hard to understand sometimes, writing, uh, God is making sure that the Romans get kind of the meat, the marrow in, in the middle of the bone of, of everything that the church believed in the first century. Romans is kind of a summary of the rest of the New Testament. Um, it, it has some of the greatest hopes, some of the hardest things in all, in all of Scripture. But in verse 26, Paul has this, this statement that, again, hinges on, on, on all of, of Jesus' actions from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday. It, it, Good Friday, Jesus' death, his, his, his burial, and the, 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 the day for us, the day between where the disciples didn't really know what to do. It was Holy Saturday, or as I call it, Somber Saturday. I called it that before I knew that Holy Saturday was a real thing, so I, it's just kind of stuck with me. But, but that, that day between of, of not knowing, and then... Jesus bursting forth in glorious day, as, as our first song put it, on Resurrection Sunday. So verse 26 hinges on, on the gospel, the good news that Jesus came, he, he, he taught, he died, he well, was murdered, uh, he was buried, and he rose again on that third day for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 26 again says this, It, the gospel, the actions of Jesus, was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't want to camp too much on some of the, some of the uh, finer points of this verse, but, but when, when Paul says, at the present time, he's talking about this new age. See, there, there were thousands of years of history and tons of people that existed before Jesus walked the earth. So, so what he's essentially saying is that there's this law that God had given that was, that, that was the Levitical and uh, Deuteronomical laws, so the books of Leviticus and the books of Deuteronomy, this law that reflected God's character and nature, uh, punishments for crimes, ways of doing sacrifices, the things, things that reflected God in, in, in terms of of what he expected legally from people 
and what he expected civilly from people and what he accepted and what he would accept ceremoniously from people. So that's, that's a good summary of the law and all the things that you did, they were, they were works. They were things that you, you had to do. And um, they, they all pointed forward to Jesus coming. So when Paul says, at this present time, he's meaning the time we're in still. The time that we're in now. The time after Jesus is coming. This present time. So when Paul says uh, it was to show his righteousness at the present time, he's talking about the righteousness of God. So that... He, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So my summary for this sermon, I have two points, but the summary is that the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus show that God is both just and the justifier of sinners who trust in him. So point number one is God is just. That's kind of a, that's kind of a weird... I, I get why it was translated that way. There's not really a better way to say it. There almost needs to be two sentences there, but there's not in the Greek. So God is just, is that first statement. So God shows himself as just in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Well, what does that really mean, that God is just? And before I dive into that, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm going to mention a lot of uh, not a lot, but I'm going to mention a handful of scriptures, and I'm not going to read all of them, because I'd rather you, especially since this is primarily a video, and that Garnet's the only one suffering in the room with me, uh, the, you, can, you can go back and double-check these. You can read them. You can look at them. And I, I, I'd encourage you to do that even if you were in this room suffering with me. Um, probably not the best way to put that. But, but when I say that God is just, I mean that he is perfectly just. Now, when I try and make a, a judgment, same, same general word, when I try and make a judgment, if my kids come to me and they say, hey, I just got hit by the other one, I try to judge, you know, is that true? I try to judge what's maybe a fair punishment or a reaction to this. Do I have to separate them? Are they in danger? Is one of them doing something stupid? I have to make a judgment but I'm not always right. God is always right. He is just. He knows perfectly. Uh, one, one, of, one of the terms that we hear in Scripture describing God in, in terms of his whole character and nature is that he is holy. And, we, and, and holy cow, we hear that word all over the place, don't we? Uh, holy is a word that we just don't wholly grasp. That's spelled different. Um, we don't understand it because we're not holy in terms of our just basic character and nature. To, to define holy, God's holiness, it's that he's perfect. He's unstained. He's separate from his creation. That's the actual meaning of the word holy. When we use the word holy in scripture, it means separate. For instance, I have this Bible, and this is, this is my, my preaching Bible. 
Um, it's dual column, it has a good size font, I can read it, I can read it from far away. Um, it's, it's got some pretty good margins, I could make notes in it, it's also got some little devotionals in it because it's made for pastors. It's holy. It's separate for a very particular purpose, at least for me. So that's a proper term, but that's not close to what we mean when we say that God is holy. When we say that God is holy, uh, we mean that he has zero flaws. Uh, think, think about it like a diamond. Every diamond has a flaw. In fact, it's categorized, when you're purchasing a diamond, it's categorized by how flawed the diamond is. The, the more flaws, the, the, the cheaper it is. The less flaws, the more expensive it is. My wife did not get an unflawed diamond. Sorry. Um, but, but every diamond has some sort of flaws. We might not be able to see it unless we look super close. That's why jewelers have those crazy little, uh, little, little, almost like miniature telescopes that they look at a diamond with. But God has no flaws. None. At all. God's perfect. So when Paul says that God is just, he means that he is perfectly just. He never makes a mistake in his, in his, uh, in his determinations. Ever. At all. I can't fathom that. I make mistakes every time. Uh, the, this morning when I was driving in, uh, I was driving through some fog, and all of a sudden I saw some deer, and I was so thankful that I saw deer. I was like, oh, deer, deer, look, deer. I would not have been thankful if they ran onto the road instead of off the road. I should have made the judgment to slow down, but I didn't, because I was in awe of the fact that there were deer here. God doesn't make bad judgments. So when we read in Isaiah 6, 1 to 3, in Revelation 4, 8, when, when the angels and the, the, the myriads, the host of heaven is all singing that God is holy, 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 they're closest to him. They see him and they sing of his holiness, his perfectness his perfection. And then when we sin, we're, we're actually sinning against this holy God. We, we don't think that. When we sin, when we, when we do something wrong, we don't think, ah, you know what, God? I, uh, I, I'm sinning against you. We don't think about that, but we are actually sinning directly against him. Why? Because we're all made in his image. God created us very special so that we retain his image, the imago dei in, in Latin, uh, the, the, the image of God. That's Genesis 1.27, when God makes man in his image. So we somehow reflect God's character, his nature, his, 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 uh, his uh, I don't necessarily think his appearance, um, but we reflect him. We're supposed to reflect him. This is seen by the fact that dolphins might be able to communicate, but they don't have a ton of languages that we can all learn and intercommunicate. Dogs might be able to open a fridge, but they do it for us as servants. We, in a very special way, reflect God's image. 
Now we've marred that image. We've messed it up. We've stained it. We've, we've, we've destroyed it in some capacity. That's our nature. But every sin we commit actually disfigures God's image in us. Romans 3.26, uh, I'm sorry, I wrote 3.26, but actually 3.23. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every sin we commit takes that image of God in us and it just twists it a little bit more. It screws it up, messes it up. It makes it ugly. That's why I like the word disfigures. It ruins the figure, the image that's there. And not only that, but every sin is rebellion. So not only do we disfigure the image, but every sin is a rebellion against the fact that we actually innately bear the image of God. We know right from wrong. I just experienced that with my kids the other day. I, one of my kids did something wrong, and I said, are you supposed to do that? And usually this child says, yeah, just trying to get out of it. But, but this time that kid said, no. See, my, even, even my, my now three-year-old uh, sons and my almost five-year-old daughter know the difference between right and wrong. So in Genesis 3.22... We have God actually saying, hey, now, now humanity knows right and wrong. And then in Romans 1.19, it's, it's only a page over from mine, so I'll read it. Romans 1.19, Paul says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, meaning all humanity, because God has shown it to them. See, we all innately know that God exists. We may not want to admit it, but we do. So when we sin, we disfigure the image of God in us. We also rebel against our innate knowledge of right and wrong, which is, which is a reflection, and it's a portion of God's uh, image in us. So when we sin against this perfect, unstained, holy God, when we, when we, when we disfigure this innate image that he gifted to us, it's a gift to be higher than a dolphin is, is, is a great thing. Now, we may want to be dolphins. I'd love to swim as fast as a dolphin. But I, in a, in a wonderful way, reflect God's image just by being a human. So we disfigure it when we sin. We rebel against him when we sin. So in order to give us pardon, if God is just, if God is holy and we're sinning against him, if God is just, then, then in order to give a pardon, his justice has to be satisfied. So God is perfectly just. He's wholly just. If I can put a hyphen there. Imagine, imagine a hyphen between those two words. He's holy and just would probably be a better way to put it. No hyphen. Uh, so God is perfectly just, and therefore he should punish us when we sin against him. I mean, we're, his, we're creatures. We're his creation. If I made an origami bird, and it flew in the air, and it 
it dropped a bird turd on my head, I would punish that origami bird. Do we let our dogs pee on the carpet? Or, or do we let rats and mice and roaches infest our homes? Eat our food? No. No, when the dog piddles on the carpet, you roll up the newspaper and you say, no, 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 no. Let me know and you go outside next time. You somehow try to train the dog to do that. And when rats and mice and roaches infest our homes, we exterminate them. We, we kill them all so that they're no longer infesting our homes. Now, we do this for our safety. I mean, dogs peeing on the carpet, it's not just an eyesore. It's actually, uh, it, it's, it's actually not good for our health either. And rats aren't good for our health. But God punishes because he's just. God should punish if he's just. When his creations rebel against him and, and spit on the image that he gives them, if he's just, he should punish us. But instead of simply punishing us, he, he, he poured out his wrath on his own son. He provided a way of escape from the wrath we deserve, from, from eternal suffering in hell. Because we've, we've sinned against an eternally good God, and therefore we eternally deserve punishment. But, but he gave us a way of escape. He gave us a door, a door to walk through. 1 John 4, 1 says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God didn't just give the door. He put the hinges on it. He opens it for us. Friends, that is good news. It's also good news that God is just. Because if he didn't take sin seriously and he just let people walk through the door willy-nilly without, without actually doing anything, that wouldn't be a good God. That wouldn't be a holy God. That would be a God that's stained with sin. That would be a God who doesn't care that much. So through Jesus, and this is point number two, God became the justifier of sinners who trust in him. So he's not just just, but he's the justifier, Paul says. In the Old Testament, God told his people that they were required to make sacrifices to cover for their sins. That's the majority of the book of Leviticus. These actually were acts of faithfulness, so them, them showing their trust that God would forgive their sins, not acts of actual atonement. Uh, Hebrews 10.4 says that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. Why? Because they're creatures. So blood has to be shed to atone for sin because, just to quote Leviticus, this is Leviticus 17.11, um, God actually tells Moses, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. That was looking forward to Jesus. It was looking forward to God being the justifier of his own people. But a bull or a goat or a sheep or a lamb or a ram or any of those animals, 
they're not really that valuable in the grand scheme. I mean, hey, you might be able to, like, I, I, I don't think any of you are farmers, but uh, in terms of raising cattle, uh, but, but a bull is pretty important to a herd. If you have all female cows and no bull, that herd's gonna die eventually. But how would that atone for sin? It can't, it won't. There has to be something of equal, equally great value to cover up how greatly heinous our sins. And that's reflected even in our own legal system. Uh, punishments befit a crime in our legal system. Uh, you get a number of years of jail time, depending on how bad the crime is, or even months or even days. Uh, a person who pockets a candy bar at the grocery store does not get the same sentence as a serial killer. We innately know that certain crimes deserve certain levels of punishment. And that's actually seen for the way God set up his justice system. Uh, if you, if you want to read Leviticus 24, specifically verses 17 to 23 in your own time, you'll see that there are certain levels of punishment. An eye for an eye, as God puts it. And it's also true in the New Testament. Um, God, uh, Jesus actually, so when he sends out his, uh, his, his apostles, um, he gives them the statement in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, he says, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, which God annihilated, than for the town that rejects the gospel. That's a level of punishment. So, punishment befits the crime. And if our sins against this holy God, who's perfectly just, are really as bad as the Bible says it is, are really as heinous, then there needs to be something of equal value to how horrible our sins are. That's sacrificed. A bull and a goat ain't going to do it. But Jesus was God. He was holy. He is holy. He was, he's, he's unstained by sin. He doesn't carry that sin nature that you and I have. He, was abs he is absolutely perfect. So in his death, he became the justifier of sinners. You might, only Jesus was without the stain of sin. And so therefore, his death can cover the sins of everybody that has faith in him. It took God dying to cover for your sins. It took God being sacrificed to cover for your sins. If that doesn't evoke joy for you, then I don't know what will. And you might actually be tempted, this is actually a temptation a lot of people have, uh, you might be tempted to think, well, if he washed me of my sins, then I can do whatever I want. 
I'm washed. I'm cleansed. Doesn't matter. We call this antinomianism. It's, uh, the, the phrase antinomos means without law. So antinomianism is, is a thing even today. And I'm sure tons of you, maybe even you, can think that this is true, right? If, if God washed me, then it doesn't matter if I get drunk. It doesn't matter if I uh, party on the weekends. It doesn't matter if I cheat on my spouse. It doesn't matter if I, if I sleep outside of marriage. None of that matters because I'm cleansed, I'm washed. That's foolishness. It is absolute foolishness. Look at Romans 3.31, where we've been just a few verses later. That's why I read all the way to 3.31. Uh, Paul says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? The trust that Jesus died for you, that he atoned for your sins, that he propitiated God's wrath, meaning that he satisfied it, he satisfied God's wrath, and then saying, oh, well, you know what? Since I have this faith, I don't need them law. It's ridiculous. So do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law, the purpose, the meaning. The actual, the actual specifics of the law, we don't necessarily have to do. We don't have to sacrifice bulls and goats anymore. But we uphold it. Uh, Paul dives into this even greater, into, into greater depth in Romans chapter 6. Be a fun thing for you to read on your free time. But listen, we, don't, we, we, we uphold the law. We do good things. Why? We, we, not for boasting. That's, uh, that's verse 27. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. We don't do works for boasting's sake. Our boasting is excluded. It is nullified. It is worthless. We, 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 we don't do works expecting salvation. Our deeds will never give us salvation. Why? Because your good works can never satisfy the heinousness of your sins. You are so disfigured that no matter what you do will never atone for it. Only faith in Jesus atones for your sins. Only he works that wonderful redemption. And that's actually freeing, believe it or not. Because, uh, because of a faith in Jesus' justifying work. He be, again, he became the justifier for sinners because God is just. God needed a sacrifice. He's holy. He's perfect. He needed something to atone for the sins, so therefore he gave his own son. This is the only thing that would have worked. So we, we, we do good works, and we uphold the law, the spirit of the law, out of gratitude instead of expectation. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, the epistle of James 2.17, he says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So you can know that God is just and he's the justifier of sinners, but if, if you don't do works, that knowledge, that faith, is dead. It's a corpse. So here's the application of my two points. If, since God is just and he's the justifier of sinners, is your faith dead? Have you claimed to be a Christian and maybe, maybe you 
doubt the resurrection. Maybe you doubt that Jesus actually rose from the grave. Or, or maybe you've not served him, just, just decided not to. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you don't live a life of holiness, being separate from, from the, the, the effect or the, the guilt or the, the pains of your sin. Have you claimed to be a Christian and avoided holiness, the law, upholding it? Listen, faith results in works. But works do not require faith. And we overcomplicate this. <laughs> oh boy, do we overcomplicate this. Uh, I mean, you can, you can just read the, uh, anything by the Roman Catholic Church about the, the, the necessity of faith, and they like to quote James 2.17, or cults like to say that you gotta work. You gotta work. You gotta work. I'm gonna guilt trip you till you do the works that I want you to do. But it's not that complicated. Um, if I love my wife, I will do things for her. Some things she asks of me, some things she doesn't. But I'll do things for her out of my love for her. The same is true of our faith and love for the Jesus who justifies sinners, for the just God who needed, who, who needed a sacrifice because of the horribleness of our sins. And the, the sacrifice that he took wasn't defeated by the grave. We will serve God. We will serve, we will serve his church. Uh, we, we will conform our minds and hearts to him as he works in us through the Holy Spirit. Why? Out of love. We'll, we'll serve him in reverence, in, in, in fear, because he's just. Because he, 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 he does require certain things as a just judge. But we'll also do it out of joy. Out of gratefulness. Because of who he is. Uh, we Christians should not be consumers. We Christians should be joyful servants of the one who saved us. So without eternal punishment for our sin or the death of Jesus atoning for our sin, paying for our sin, God wouldn't be just. Listen, God doesn't forgive lightly. Why? Because he takes sin seriously. It's really that bad. You might be tempted to say, but my sins aren't that bad. I'm not a serial killer. I don't beat my spouse. But your sins are that bad. They truly are. Just to drive the point home, they're so incredibly bad that God had to send his one and only son to die for them. We stand condemned in our sin. But Jesus took the punishment for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him has eternal life. Read John 3, 16 through, uh, through 18. That hinges on the resurrection, though. Because God would not be the justifier of sinners without the resurrection. Why? Because Jesus, who's God incarnate, perfect, unstained, holy, 
If he could be defeated by death, then there would really be no, no hope. You know, any huckster or trickster, I just love the word huckster, any huckster or trickster can claim to work miracles and prove their divinity, but only Jesus did. Anybody can claim to come back from the dead, or that they can come back from the dead, but only Jesus did. Jesus is the justifier of sinners. He came, he did exactly what God asked, he, he came precisely when he was intended to, so that now uh, those of us living at this present time can turn to him in trust and faith. That's the gospel, the good news. To quote Timothy Keller, the gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian life, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. Our whole faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will never advance beyond the truth of the gospel. Our hearts and our minds need to be captivated by it. You know, Resurrection Sunday, today, um, it's a day that we're, we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel, the effect of the gospel, the reason of the gospel, the, the, the power of the gospel we forget that. But we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection every time we do anything in the Christian life. But hey, we're Baptists. Um, we, uh, we forget easily. That's why we have potlucks. Otherwise, we forget the names of the people in the church. I'm kidding. That was a really bad joke. But we feast on, on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter to commemorate the work of Jesus Christ. We gather on Sundays to commemorate the work of Jesus Christ. We have communion to commemorate the work of Jesus Christ, to remind our forgetful hearts that God is both just and the justifier of sinners. We forget far too easily. We need to be reminded our hope hinges on the resurrection. Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, you provide us not just a way of escape, but you provide for us joy in yourself. Unstained, perfect, holy joy. Everything in this world falls short. Why? Because we broke this world, but you're going to redeem it. As coronavirus continues to ravage our land, as we're reminded of, 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 of the, the unending fears that we could possibly be gripped by at any time, because even if it's not coronavirus, it could be a tick with Lyme disease. Even if it's not coronavirus, it could be cancer. Even if it's not coronavirus, it could be a car. Our days are numbered. We need lasting hope. We need life that's rooted in you and nothing else. God, you are just. You are perfect and unstained. You are right in your judgments. Grant us the faith, the trust to know that. 
But you've proven your love for us by also being the justifier. You've satisfied your own wrath. May we be completely joyful about that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As you have hopefully been reflecting this weekend on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I hope that you also remember that he is just and the justifier of sinners like me, like you. Continue to reflect on that. Continue to think on that. And remember that the fact that the grave opened up and Jesus rose from the dead and he's sitting on his throne right now is the very foundation of everything in the Christian life. Don't forget it. Think on it deeply. And rejoice in God your Savior. Go in peace.